matter what, for desire backed by faith knows no such thing as impossible. Hi, this is your host Arjun. I'm a functional medicine health professional and personal trainer, and I'm here to motivate and empower you with knowledge that will help you to regenerate your health and align with your higher vision. Welcome back everyone. This is part 3 of managing the master mineral magnesium. And in this episode, you'll be learning about magnesium rich food sources and supplements, the different forms of supplements, how to determine the dosage of magnesium supplements, and understanding why serum magnesium numbers are not sufficient to know about your body's magnesium status. and what different levels of magnesium in red blood cells urine and serum actually mean let's start with the foods rich in magnesium before considering supplementation you can go for a good quality and organic that's necessary wheat grass powder because it's rich in chlorophyll and magnesium is found at the heart of chlorophyll of course You should also consume leafy greens if you haven't already. Spirulina is another miraculous herb which I have to talk about with y'all. Wow, there is actually a lot I have to talk about. You can switch the table salt, which I am absolutely not a fan of, with Himalayan pink salt. Uh, also, switching to using grass-fed dairy products if you have no problem with it. is also a good place to start these basic everyday things will first of all help a lot and feel free to include dark chocolate to your grocery list but an unsweetened one try criollo the variety from venezuela it's mind blowing then there are more foods like avocados pumpkin seeds nuts sprouts wild caught fish dandelion sea vegetable like wakame chlorella dulce nori kelp basically a nice balanced wholesome diet with natural foods and vegetables clubbed with a healthy gut and eating hygiene is the end all be all solution for not just magnesium but almost all nutrient deficiencies in the body as for magnesium supplementation as you might be aware there are different forms of magnesium and we'll start with the ones you have to avoid magnesium oxide dihydrooxide also known as milk of magnesia carbonate sulfate and aspartate these forms are either poorly absorbed or extremely laxative in nature now there are a few things i'd like to clear out Some people would argue that using magnesium sulfate when used externally in an oil form or epsom salts for bath helps raise magnesium levels. So, I spent quite some time searching for some scientific studies and there aren't many. I came across a few that conclude that transdermal magnesium absorption is not yet scientifically proven. it's not a proven form of magnesium application while 
there were others that tested serum magnesium levels which did increase basically serum magnesium levels don't mean much specifically in itself what's more important is intracellular magnesium levels which sadly weren't tested i personally wouldn't rely on transdermal magnesium for meeting magnesium deficiencies but that's my view you can take a look at the studies which i have provided to you in the transcript and decide if you'd like to spend your money on that and magnesium aspartate is another form which is taken orally and i've found mixed reviews on that frankly i didn't bother much to do research on this one since there are other forms which have shown to be effective and which almost all functional medicine doctors and researchers agree on by the way a lot of healthcare experts do not agree with the rda guidelines for magnesium which is 300 mg they state that it is actually lower however most of us get far less than 200 mg because of poor food and lifestyle choices Okay, let's start with magnesium citrate which is one of the most commonly found and used form of magnesium since it's low cost and reasonably bioavailable. It's useful in constipation and is potentially helpful with oxalate metabolism while it also helps with nocturnal leg cramps and headaches. Then there's magnesium glycinate and even bisglycinate which is a chelated form of magnesium. Basically it's made up of the amino acids glycine along with magnesium making it one of the most bioavailable forms of magnesium a chelated form is basically that is more bioavailable and hence more effectively absorbed it does not have a laxative effect since it doesn't influence the gi tract much so if you're having healthy bowel movements then this is a good option It has anti-stress effect magnesium of course but it also but it's also because of glycine which has a calming effect so it's great for sleep anxiety it's anti-inflammatory supports healthy blood sugar levels there are also more chelated forms of magnesium like magnesium malate which is great for fibromyalgia and atp basically energy production So it's great to combat fatigue and even blood sugar regulation while of course these forms are even great for muscle tensions and spasms or tightness and headaches. Then we have magnesium L-threonate which is significantly beneficial for brain health since it is able to cross the blood brain barrier and get absorbed into the neurons. It has shown positive effects in the case of Alzheimer. and has also shown to improve memory and learning magnesium l-threonate has the highest absorption rate of magnesium available for cells and may be the best form of magnesium available great for anxiety panic attention deficit ruminating thoughts and much more magnesium orotate is also a form which is absorbed deeply and reaches the mitochondria making it ideal for athletes And lastly magnesium for the heart. That's magnesium torate. Actually it has more benefits not just for the heart because the amino acid taurine plays many crucial roles many crucial roles especially in brain development retinal and muscle health. It has antioxidant properties it's a calming neurotransmitter 
and has positive benefits right from diabetes to epilepsy and much more. This one's a really valuable form too. I've linked to some interesting scientific literature related to taurine. Feel free to have a look. There are more forms of magnesium, but I've listed the main ones. If you have questions about any other forms, then let me know about it. You can contact me via the contact form on my website or simply through any social media platform. I'm there on all the main ones. A word of caution before I move ahead. Be careful um, while selecting your supplementation because when it comes to the brands, it's not necessary that what's on the label is also in the bottle. So for this reason, always ensure that you are getting your supplement from a source that tests every batch and that they are actually giving you what's on the label. Nothing less and definitely nothing more like unwanted toxins, allergens and heavy metals. Make sure that the company is not self-certifying itself. The certification should always be from a third party and the product should be GMP as in good manufacturing practices compliant. It's also better if you get a product which is free of unnecessary and even at times harmful ingredients, uh, including binders, colorants, flavorings, fillers, coatings, preservatives, and all those sort of things. And if you're pregnant or nursing, or if you are on medications, then please consult your doctor before starting with supplementation, especially if you have any kidney-related issues or severe heart disease. Moving on to the dosages. As mentioned in the previous episode, if you already have one or some of the symptoms that we discussed in the first part and find yourself doing some of the things which is causing a depletion in magnesium, especially if your intake is already low, if you're not consuming some of the foods that I just mentioned on a daily basis, chances are that you are deficient in magnesium. So a good place to start would be, as I mentioned earlier, by introducing natural foods rich in magnesium along with 300 mg of supplemental magnesium which has to be taken away from meals because it's alkaline and could interfere with digestion of foods by negatively impacting the acidity of the stomach acid. An ideal time for its intake would be before bedtime since magnesium alleviates stress, calms the mind, and relaxes the muscles. So it's basically helping in a smooth transition into a deep and restful sleep. You can also split up the dosage instead of having it all at once. And you can gradually increase the dosage until you have a mild laxative effect as a sign of excessive ingestion. And that's when you can taper down your dose until you have bowel tolerance. Once you have achieved your ideal dosage, then continue with it for 2-3 to three months, which should be sufficient to replete your magnesium levels, after which you can reduce your dosage back to 200 or, or maybe 400 mg depending upon your magnesium intake from foods and other factors like, for example, if you are supplementing with perhaps vitamin D. It's important to monitor your symptoms throughout and I'd recommend that if you need to administer more than 1000 mg, it's best to work with a healthcare professional, especially if you are unsure of what needs to be done. 
or at least it's best to get your RBC magnesium that's your red blood cell magnesium tested. With that we come to the final part of the series on magnesium. Speaking of magnesium levels in our body it's the serum magnesium that's generally tested. Serum magnesium is the amount of magnesium present in the blood and the figures are only a short term representation of magnesium levels in the body which is influenced by what has happened and what you've eaten in the last one to two days. And remember, magnesium in the blood in itself doesn't mean much. It needs to get inside the cell to be used. Hence, RBC, though not being a perfect marker, but is still a better one available to us. It's a more accurate reflection of our magnesium intake and levels in the body from the past 2-3 months and that too it being an intracellular measurement basically the amount of magnesium within the cell. While magnesium levels in the urine is an indicator of the amount of magnesium excreted by the body basically the amount of magnesium lost through the urine. Now RBC magnesium usually tends to get low before serum magnesium. However, if serum magnesium is normal and RBC magnesium is low, that means there is a problem with magnesium's uptake, basically entry into the cell, which may be indicative of insulin resistance or a vitamin B6 deficiency or low sodium consumption, which is usually a problem when people trying to avoid salt. If urinary magnesium levels are high and RBC magnesium is low, supplementing is a good idea, but the underlying factor has to be addressed. That is resulting in the loss of magnesium in the urine in the first place. And if both RBC and serum magnesium levels are low and urinary magnesium level is normal, that's simply due to magnesium deficiency. It's simple, ain't it? And we have concluded the three-part episode series on magnesium. I hope you have found this useful. And as always, I'd love to have your suggestions, feedback and questions. I'll see you on the weekend with another episode. Until then, don't worry, be happy and stay healthy. If you'd like to keep in touch, subscribe to the newsletter. For more personalized support, you can start by scheduling a free call with me. If you find what I do helpful, you can support the show by becoming a patron. All links can be found below in the show notes. Until next time, stay healthy, stay happy.